Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Blissful Prospecting is a podcast for reps, sales teams that love landing big meetings with prospects, but hate all of the work that it takes to send hundreds of cold emails and make dozens of cold calls with little to no results. So if that's ever happened to you before or your team, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we're talking to Charles Mulbauer. He is the lead enablement manager at a company called CB Insights, and we're digging into discovery. I don't listen to many sales podcasts. Uh, 30 Minutes to President's Club, Nick and Armand, you know those guys. If you listen to this podcast, we've done some really cool stuff together. I listen to their podcasts. Every now and then I'll listen to uh, Kevin Dorsey's got a podcast that I recommend. My man, Jeff Bajoric, The Why and the Buy, I listen to their stuff. And I think I might listen to one other one. I'm having trouble thinking of it, but there's a guy, Charles Mulbauer. <laughs> I've seen him on a bunch of podcasts lately, and he talks about a topic that I've been very fascinated with in the last month or two around discovery. And every now and then I'll listen to something and I'll be like, oh, this is like 300 level shit right here. You know, <laughs> this is someone that like really knows his stuff. And the reason why I wanted him on the podcast is he coaches a lot of reps at CB Insights around discovery. And one of the things that he does to kind of set the stage here is really talk about this fear of change that people have and how we need to really understand our buyers. But really, it's around expectation alignment. I thought that was kind of interesting. If you think about the way that you run a sales call, if you think about how can I align around expectations with this person? Because if we're out of line with expectations, one or more of us is going to be unhappy with the outcome of this 30-minute, you know, 45-minute call. So he talks about what he calls a discovery conversation roadmap. And I'm looking back at my notes. I think it's a 12-step. I know it sounds like a lot of steps, but a lot of those are digging in with the person, but it's a 12-step process and we go deep on discovery in this one. So if you want to figure out how you can introduce yourself at the beginning of the call, how you can position what you're doing, how you can add context, how you can really dig in and get the prospect to talk about some of the things that are on their mind. And one of my favorite things, use humbling disclaimers to really disarm the prospect, get them to open up. Uh, this is, I learned so much from this podcast. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview. And I've gotten to talk to Charles a couple of times and, and know him a little bit better. He's just a solid dude too. So you're going to learn a lot from Charles today. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about Outbound Squad. If you're kind of in this mode right now where things are going pretty well and you might feel like, hey, as an AE or any other full cycle sales rep, uh, you might maybe feel like you're getting a sales plateau. You know, hey, things are going pretty good, but you want to learn more. And maybe you're one of the top reps at your company, but you want to be surrounded by more top reps. And you want to get coaching and training and know what you should be working on. I recommend checking out Outbound Squad. Um, I really believe that top reps, you don't need more content to listen to or to read or to watch. It's really about how do we get the right content in front of you? How do you focus on the right thing at the right time that's going to move the needle the most? Outbound Squad will help you do just that. It's the best training content that you're going to find. Uh, we have world-class coaches, guest coaches, a lot of people that you've heard on this podcast are some of the guest coaches and trainers. And lastly, a community. So if you're looking for more accountability and to be partnered up with other peers that are also in the top 10 or 20% of reps at their company and want to do better, want to either get into sales leadership roles 
or to promote in advance, make more money, more impact, that sort of stuff, send me a message, Outbound Squad. You can put squad in the subject line and send me an email at jason at blissfulprospecting.com if you're up for the challenge. Warning, this is hard and it is a paid program. So if you're looking for some extra stuff, I'm building a group of 300 uh, Spartan salespeople, if you want to call it that. So hit me up, put squad in the subject line, jason at blissfulprospecting.com. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Charles. So I always like to ask a fun icebreaker at the beginning of these. And being a New Yorker, I'm curious, when you were a kid, what'd you eat for breakfast? What I eat for breakfast as a kid? Yeah. Fruity Pebbles. Okay, Fruity Pebbles. Oh, yeah, I love Fruity Pebbles. Oh, my gosh. Did your parents get you the actual Fruity Pebbles, or did you eat the generic kind, or did, did you have a preference? No, no, not, not only did I eat the Fruity Pebbles, my dad, who may his soul be blessed, he, he left this world six years ago, would sing a Fruity Pebbles song. Oh, God, that's awesome. While I ate Fruity Pebbles, yeah, that he made up on his own. There's no official song. And when he brought the Fruity Pebbles, you bring it to me like it's a trophy. Yeah. Like I just won a, some sort of championship and he'd sing it out loud. And that's what I ate for breakfast. Oh, that's hilarious, dude. Yeah. I love Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. I, you're now reminding me I should go get a box, to be honest. They're fantastic. Yeah. The cereal <laughs> is like one of those things, especially sugary cereals. I don't know about you. Anytime I eat them, I'm immediately taken back to childhood. I know. Because what child doesn't like delicious sugary cereal? It makes them happy. And you want to remember the times, the things that made you happy. Yeah. <laughs> so there are so many things in life that don't. Yeah. You want to remember the things that do. So yeah, Fruity Pebbles. I'm 100%. Yeah. Thank you for bringing me back already. No, absolutely, dude. So quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. I'm curious about your, just your sales journey. And I know, you know, a lot of people tend to get into sales on accident, you know? Right. But uh, you have a really interesting experience that looks like career-wise at the beginning of your career. But how did you get into sales? Yeah, by the way, Jason, you're welcome to cut me off because this story ends up being very long, but I'll give you the, the shorter version. I was a CPA for 10 years. Oh, wow. And I know. <laughs> I get that all the time. That sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I deserve it. I deserve it. I was afraid to leave, a lot of fear of change. Mm -hmm. And eventually, during my last period of being a CPA, it was at Deloitte. And I started on my own helping the partners meet with folks who were running hedge funds that I had networked with, that I had met at parties, at weddings, or what have you. And I started making introductions for the partners at the firm because... Fun fact about me, I'm a wedding singer. I don't know if I mentioned that to you before. So no. obviously, I like to be out and about and with people, all that kind of stuff. So I started making introductions for them outside of my regular job. And the partner started inviting me to the breakfasts that they were having with the founders of the hedge funds or the senior level executives at the hedge funds. Um, and of course, I wouldn't really say much at the breakfast, but I was making introductions for them. And I knew as a wedding singer and someone who was, you know, somewhat social, that I had some sort of bug in me to do something more on the front lines. So in one of my evaluation meetings at Deloitte, I straight up told my partner that one of the partners in my firm, I straight up told him, you know, this is not something that I want to do. I think I want to be in sales. Oh, wow. And he started laughing. I'm giving you the very short version. He started laughing. And I said, what's so funny? 
And he said, I think you'd be great at sales. Oh. <laughs> I said, thanks. And I ended up getting uh, my first sales job at the age of 31 at a startup called Axial, which is still around, which helps private equity firms and other private investors connect with other uh, resources to find companies that they wouldn't have otherwise found so that they can invest in them. So I ended up to SaaS platform and I got my first sales job there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met a fellow named Sam Jacobs who runs Pavilion or Revenue Collective, but he was my boss. Oh, wow. I haven't met Sam. I definitely am familiar with his work and what he's up to. Yeah. So he was my direct boss. And the interview was a crazy story, skipping a whole crazy story right now. But I landed that job. There were no SDRs. It wasn't really a thing even. I think predictable revenue had just come out. So the whole SDR specialization wasn't really a big thing. Mm -hmm. So I was responsible for prospecting and managing my own pipeline. And that's how I first got started. And I spent six years as an individual contributor. And that's a whole another story in and of itself. But that's how I ended up in sales in my first role. Actually, the partner at Deloitte, who I told I want to be in sales, told me that whenever you get that first offer for a sales role, you make sure to tell them to call me because you really worked your butt off here and I will be a reference for you. So that's how it got started. No, that's cool. One thing that you said at the very beginning, I think that is pretty relevant to discovery and sales was you said... Uh, I was afraid to leave and there was this fear of change. When you think of mindset that before a sales call or any of that sort of thing, is there anything that you focus on in the work that you're doing now with setting the stage with a rep in terms of the mindset that the buyer might be in coming into that call? Is that something that you talk about a lot or if this fear of change or anything like that, like what you need to understand about a prospective buyer? before you even go into a discovery conversation with them? Is there anything that comes up for you there? Well, there are two things that come up for me based on your question. There's like what the salesperson understands about the buyer, but there's also does the seller and the buyer have the same expectations for the call to begin with? Because I think I learned this a long, long time ago. I give credit where credit is due. In my first sales role, I think John Barrows before. This is when... Before he had like a bigger business, he was first starting out on his own. And he taught us, you know, reality minus expectations equals happiness. Mm -hmm. I never forgot that little formula. And so the big thing I coach my reps is, you know, obviously it has to be the upper contract and so on and so forth. But a big thing I coach my reps is on, do you and the buyer have the same expectations as to what the following call is about first? Because if... If you have a certain expectation of the call that they do not, they're going to be upset. And if they have a certain expectation of the call that you do not, you're going to be upset. And if you have a certain expectation of the call that they don't, they will tell you that they're upset. But if they have an expectation of the call that you don't, you won't necessarily tell them. And then you're going to get off the call very angry. So... (laughs) I really dissected that statement. <laughs> so that's that's item number one. <laughs> and then item number two, in general, they have to understand our buyers in general, but it's not unique to a call. Um, you just have to understand in general what what a you know what a buyer's day is like and all that kind of stuff. But it's not unique or specific to a call necessarily. 
outside, okay, I'm, I'm talking to this type of individual who's in this specific position, you know, chief innovation officer or chief strategy officer here at CB Insights, among other titles. So I have to have at least somewhat of an understanding of what they do before a call. That's obvious. That's obvious. But what's not so, what's not so obvious is the expectations piece as to like the purpose of the call. Like what I had in mind for the call was X. Is that what you had in mind? No matter what call it is. First call, it could be a negotiating call. <laughs> it could be yeah. any call. A lot of times those expectations are not aligned. So that what, that's what comes up for me. Interesting. So, okay. I actually want to dig into this understanding about the buyer because you said it sounds obvious, yet I see a lot of people not coming into calls with a very good understanding of who they're selling to. I don't, I don't know if it has necessarily to do with seniority or I don't think it's a laziness thing. I think it is maybe, and I'm curious your thoughts, their understanding of why people like them in their position might buy. So for example, are you familiar with you know Skip Miller selling above and below the line, that whole kind of concept? At face value, yeah. Yeah. At face value. One thing that I'm actually running up against right now, especially with prospecting, and I'm curious your insight around discovery is just not really understanding how to sell to a VP or C-level type of executive that's very strategic and a little bit like they're buying for different reasons than you starting a conversation with someone that's like going to be using the product, you know, that is fixing day-to-day pain, let's say, or fixing a day-to-day problem. How do you think about that in terms of preparation as a rep coming in? I don't know, maybe that's something you find out in discovery too, but how do you think about that part of understanding this person's role along with their seniority, how you might approach discovery with them? I think, well, with regard to how I coach my reps, I always, whether they are a senior rep, a junior rep, whether the rep is talking to someone, let's call it, right, like you said, above the power line or below the power line, I have found that whenever our reps decide to talk about business issues and business challenges as opposed to day-to-day stuff, if they're talking to somebody above the power line, that will resonate. If they're talking to someone below the power line, that won't resonate. And that's a good thing to know. Yeah. Because then that'll tell them, wait a second, I'm probably not talking to the person I really want to be speaking to. So I try to have my reps really focus on uh, business outcomes. Yeah. As if they were talking. So if they're talking to someone below the power line, so to speak, to still talk about those things. If the response that they would expect to get is below what they would expect to get, then they know, mm, probably not the best person to be speaking with. And they can always transition that conversation to a day-to-day thing once they have that signal. But I always stress that they should be talking about business issues as opposed to process type stuff. It's also just a more interesting conversation for everybody, even for a sales rep. Yeah. Okay. So to give you an example, then I want to make sure I'm following your train of thought. So for example, I did a sales call yesterday with a a sales development manager. And the sales development manager, those are typically the people or a director, uh, depending on the size of the company, those are people that will come to me inbound. So they tend to be the first person that I'm talking to. And I'm thinking with this sales development manager, and he had all the numbers, which was great. But it was very focused around 
not only how many meetings is your team trying to to get and how many opportunities that's going to create, but how does that fit in with the company's revenue targets and where am I thinking about that correctly in terms of if I am talking to that below the line person, am I having those kind of senior level conversations so that when it comes time to get the intro that I need to get to, you know, to talk to this person's director, VP, whatever, we're at least building a business case around like business stuff versus technical you know, kind of day-to-day stuff. Am I thinking about that correctly and approaching that or? Yeah, you're making a very good point, right? Because someone was speaking, you know, when you're speaking to the a manager of a, a sales development team, that's what they're living and breathing. Yeah. Right. So you're making a very good point. That's what they're living and breathing. So you're going to talk to them about how their lives could be easier. And so to your point, uh, they might actually care less about the overall kind of revenue impact unless it's like the head of sales development yeah who cares a little bit more than that so i think what you're telling me pretty much which makes sense is people that are below the power line you want to focus more on what they care about first or most and then like you said help that conversation translate into something more like bigger picture for the organization um, as opposed to somebody who's above the power line that might be seeing things from a higher level and then diving deeper into more detail. So what I mentioned earlier was, right, speaking about business outcomes, no matter who you're talking to, Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is maybe just to like flip it, right? So if I'm talking to someone really, really senior, maybe the business challenges comes first and maybe the details of it comes second. And maybe someone below the power line, it sounds like the details of what they're struggling with comes first. And maybe the business outcomes second. That's what I'm learning from you, pretty much. Oh, okay. but I think they're both necessary. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious on your take on that because, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just uh, <laughs> to give you another example. What do you talk about with cold calling? Are you going to talk about video prospecting? And a VP of sales doesn't really give a shit about if you talk about video prospecting or not. Correct. Like they don't even know what the people are sending in their emails. They just don't don't care about that. Right. Like, what kind of outcome can we expect from this, and how is it going to tie into our revenue goals and the bigger kind of stuff that we're focused on. Okay, so if we kind of backtrack a little bit with how do you think about the structure of a discovery call in terms of the different parts of the call? How do you how do you kind of break it up structurally? Yeah, so I have pretty much an, an entire roadmap mm-hmm. that I listed out. I have it on uh, my LinkedIn profile. Uh, of course, it's it's nimble, so it changes a little bit here and there. And I actually just recently ran a discovery roadmap session with our entire SDR team, specifically for SDRs, Jason, especially for newer SDRs. A lot of times there are periods in their discovery conversation where they feel like they get stuck and they're at a point where they're saying to themselves, oh man, what do I do now? That happens a lot. Like, oh no, like, how do I get to the next conversation? Or like, oh no, they're not really answering my questions with a lot of good insight. So now I feel like this rigid moment in the call. So we created a roadmap. I created a roadmap so that an SDR, even an AE, doesn't matter, knows how to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm no matter what happens in the call, right? The example I like to give is, say you and I are close friends and I know how to get to your house, right? I don't have to turn on Waze 
or Google Maps. I know exactly where to go. And so if a road is closed or somebody cuts me off or anything like that, it doesn't phase me. I know how to get around it. I know what other block to take and so on and so forth. So once someone has a really great roadmap in their head, they know if they normally start off a discovery call with, let's say, an upfront contract, and then after an upfront contract, and I'm getting somewhat technical here, let's say they decide to say, hey, before we kick off the call, what's your familiarity with our organization? And then decide to do some sort of positioning statement. Even if they don't do that type of stuff, it's possible that after the upfront contract, if an SDR or an AE says, we'd love to learn more about you now, a lot of times a prospect will say, well, wait a second. Like, I don't really know anything about you. So maybe you can go first. Yeah. Right. So sometimes people will get thrown off by that. And sometimes they'll get thrown off even further when the AE or SDR does respond and says, yes, this is what our organization does. And the prospect is saying, yeah, but wait, I'm not done yet. I have this question. I have that question. So a lot of times they just have to feel comfortable sitting there for a while and then transitioning back into their roadmap asking them about their role and so on and so forth. So they have to be ready. Like it's kind of like different uh, modules, if you will, that are nimble on the roadmap. If this happens, take it easy. Don't worry about it. As long as you know where to go next and know how to transition. Yeah. So I created a roadmap for people so that it makes their conversation with prospects a lot more conversational, uh, a lot more natural and smooth and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I can go into what that roadmap looks like, but that's why I created a roadmap. Yeah, I love that analogy, by the way, where you can get to the person's house without the directions so that if you hit a detour on the way there, you can still get there, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, it doesn't, I mean, you're you're not phased by it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's dig into the roadmap, man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You got my attention, dude. (laughs) Okay. Give me the goods. Roadmap. We get on the call. Number one. Okay. There's some level of rapport building, whatever topic you guys decide to discuss. We're not going to go into that. Number one is level, you know, hey, having some light conversation. I want to ask you about that. Though, what's yeah. your take on rapport? Yeah. Some people think it's the stupidest thing ever to start a call with any kind of small talk. And then some people are very like, oh, this is, I, I see kind of both extremes. What is your take on, on that first couple of minutes? Is there anything you should do, shouldn't do? Should you build rapport? And like, what does that mean to you? Like, what's, what's your take on that? Because I, I just see a lot of people talking about that these days. That's an awesome question. The bottom line, in my opinion, is you just got to be yourself. Yeah. So if you are not the kind of person that likes those conversations, then don't have them. Yeah. Right. There's a rep that I coach that hates, cannot stand that kind of quote unquote small talk. Cannot stand it. He's like, what do I do? I'm like, don't do it. You got to be yourself. Because if you're yourself, you're going to be comfortable. Yeah. That's it. I like real talk also. I don't really like small talk unless it's really interesting, like the serial discussion, which I loved. Uh, Loved it. But I felt when I was a rep that I needed to do something to make me feel comfortable on the call. So I just chose a topic about the prospect that I liked that made me feel comfortable that I was open to discussing with the prospect. So just give you a quick example. I mentioned I'm a wedding singer. So I, if I saw they're based in San Francisco, right? Hey, Bob, glad we could connect. By the way, I noticed you're in San Francisco. 
I actually just sang at a wedding there a couple of years back, and I really liked it when I visited. I said, oh, you sing at weddings? I said, yeah, it's something I, I like to do out, outside of work. I said, I don't suppose you have a, a passion outside of work. This is not like small talk. It's kind of real talk. Like yeah. telling you about me. I'm telling you this is about, this is who I am. Who I am, I don't consider small talk. Right? Anything that's about who you are is not small talk. I'm like, yeah, what passion do you have outside of working? I couldn't imagine what I got. I, I uh, skydive. I hunt. I uh, used to be a figure skater. I was like, whoa. Yeah. I, for me, I was really interested in that. So I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing. And that worked for me because throughout our conversations going forward, the next call I had, they would start joking around. Hey, sing at any weddings this week, right? And if I did, I'd be like, yeah, actually, <laughs> right? <laughs> or I would joke with them. Like, have you gone hunting since the last time we spoke? So that type of stuff actually made me feel comfortable as a person. Yeah. And again, I don't consider stuff about you as, an, as a human being to be small talk. I find that very interesting. That allowed me to get comfortable. So that's the answer I would have to, to rapport building. I, I like to know about people as much as I possibly can. Only if I'm interested. I don't want to fake it. Yeah. Like only if I'm really, really interested. And then step two is the upfront contract. However you do one. However you do one. Right. So the phrase, the purpose of the call is a phrase I like that makes me comfortable. Right. So, Jason, glad we could connect. The purpose of the call today from my end is X, Y, and Z. However, you do the upfront contract. And then the upfront contract, once that's done, right. Step three is, by the way, Jason, before we kick off the call here, I wasn't sure what your familiarity was with my firm, if any at all. 99% of the time, people are going to say, yeah, but not really. And then part of step three is cool. Would you would it be helpful if I give you some context before we start? Yeah. Who was going to say no to that? So then step four is my positioning statement, if you will, which lasts no more than 25 to 30 seconds. Cool, Jason. What we do is really, really simple. You explain what you do and why clients work with you in the first place. And you say, with that said, we'd love to learn about you and your role, et cetera, so that you can kick it back to them. So it's like the first four steps. I don't want to elongate the thing. So I'll stop there. And that's like the beginning of the roadmap. Yeah, the real quick on upfront contracts. And I know they might seem, again, like pretty obvious. A lot of people don't do them. They never do it when people sell to me, they never do it. They never establish any sort of agenda or get any buy-in or anything like that, which just drives me crazy. Probably because <laughs> you make them feel really comfortable. They're like, yeah. Jason's my friend. Yeah. I don't have to do an upfront contract. <laughs> like, wait, I think they charge them though. With the upfront contract, is it that what you're checking for is, hey, the purpose of the call is, what are some of the bullet points that you want to make sure to elaborate on in terms of like purpose? We have roadmaps for everything, right? The roadmap that we use or that we like to use for upfront contracts is something that we learned from Sandler, which is ANOT, which stands for appreciate naturally, obviously, or of course, and then typically, so it's like a mini roadmap for an upfront contract. Again, I find that when reps have trouble executing things, they need a roadmap. They're like, oh, I get that. So that might sound something like, you know, you'll hear me using the words in ANOT. So Jason, appreciate the time today. Glad we could connect. Uh, purpose of the call really is for me to learn as much as I can about you. Uh, of course, I'm going to give you some context about us naturally. 
you'll have a lot of questions for me, which I'm happy to answer. Uh, of course, I'm most likely going to have some questions for you. Some of them might be direct, just to make sure I can understand if we are a fit or not. Would that work for you, Jason? Yeah, it works for me. Great. And then typically, at the risk of stating the obvious, if you don't find value in the conversation, then we can just part ways. And if we do find value in the conversation, we can talk about next steps uh, toward the end of the call and see where you'd like to go from there. Does that work for you as well? Yeah, cool. There are a lot of other things you can fit in there, mm -hmm. right? But the fact that I have a roadmap, I now know if I fit something in there that's customized to me based on my voice, I know where to go, right? I know how to end it. I know how to start it. I know what the middle is. So like those words naturally, and of course, that really helps a lot of people have a very solid upfront contract and smooth conversation because they take those words and they use them throughout the rest of the sales cycle. So that's what that would sound like as a just a very high level example. Love it, man. Yeah. Familiarity check, you check for context. And the positioning statement, is there any guidelines you have around this? Because what I could picture people doing is, oh yeah, Charles, uh, at Blissful Prospecting, uh, we've worked with companies like XYZ and uh, we've won all of these awards, which we haven't won any awards, but if we did, <laughs> I'd throw those awards in there, talk about how many followers we have on LinkedIn, you know, all that kind of stuff. What's the, what's the guideline for the positioning statement? You can see a great Blissful Prospecting positioning statement starting with, by the way, just to tell you a little bit about Blissful Prospecting. We haven't won any awards. I like the start of that. No, so the, uh, a good start of a positioning statement would be, cool, yeah. So can you tell me about well, CB, Insights, CB Insights as an example, right? Can you tell me about CB Insights, Charles? Yeah, sure. What we do is really simple. It's the first thing I say. Mm -hmm. I even say it for myself. But what we do is really simple. We track anything that has to do with innovation and disruption. End of, end of my first sentence. Second sentence, the organizations that we work with usually have concerns, frustrations, goals around A, B, and C. Um, some of them are concerned about missing out on lesser known startups that could be really relevant to their company. Some of them are worried about not accessing accurate insight that could tell them where the market is heading. And a lot of people just want to be better at tracking disruption just to make sure that they're on top of everything outside of what they already do on their own. Um, so we help them with that. And that's a little bit about what we do. And that's the end of my positioning statement. Maybe it took like 20, 25 seconds. Would love to learn a little bit more about you. There's a way to transition into that. But that's my positioning statement. It's more about like, this is what we do. And these are the reasons people even talk to us to begin with. That's my positioning statement. And I never really said what we are. And I never really said how we help people. And I never really even said what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just said like what we do in the beginning is like one sentence. Like we help do this. And people come and talk to us about that. And we help them. Now, two things are going to happen. If the prospect, if I caught the prospect's interest, he'll be like, oh, can you tell me more? And that's fine. And even if I did you know, catch the prospect's interest high enough, they'll be like, okay, like I scratched the itch. And I'll be like, cool, like I get that. Okay, great. We're on the same page. Kind of the mention, what I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Jason, always being on the same page. Mm -hmm. These are my expectations of the call. Do they match with yours? Cool. By the way, this is what we do. Am I talking to the right person? <laughs> right? It's a great way to DQ. It's a great way to disqualify yeah. somebody also. It's also a great way to start the conversation on the right topic. Because a lot of times you can get a 
prospect to talk about them and they're talking about a million things that has nothing to do with your offering. Yeah. So it helps like prime the pump a little bit. Another value it offers is after you give the position positioning statement during the discovery call, when it's your time to talk about you again at the seller, you can reference some things back that you already mentioned in the positioning statement, right? So at a certain point in the discovery call, you're going to start talking about you again, about your offering. And then you can say, great. So, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, right, what we do is X, Y, and Z. So it's always something to tie to and prevents a lot of objections and stuff like that. But that is what the positioning statement would sound like. I love it. Yeah, because you're basically putting up a, uh, I don't know, some bumper guards or whatever you want to call it for the conversation to keep it really focused. Great way to think about it. How do you then uh, frame the question to them and figure out you know, what they're focused on? Like, wh- What happens next after that? Yeah, sure. So after I give my positioning statement, I'll say, great. So you know, with that in mind, as you can imagine, I love saying that phrase also. As you can imagine, I speak with maybe two or three chief strategy officers here on a daily basis. They all have different priorities and focuses. With that said, when it comes to tracking startups, innovation, and disruption, we'd love to understand how you guys think about those things, how you do that, and to what extent that's part of your role and the team's role and focus this year. That'd be great to understand. So it's kind of like I'm asking, instead of just asking a generic, would love to learn more about your role, and then we'll take it from there. I'm asking that question in a more specific, like you said, guided way with bumpers. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bumper guards. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to phrase it. It's a great way to think about it. I, I think I've heard you talk about this before. I love that you asked the, how do you think? Ah, It's pretty interesting because if someone asks me, well, how do you think about outbound? I would immediately go to the things that I really like and teach versus the things that I just really can't stand that people do. You'd learn a lot about how I think about it from an emotional standpoint too. That's interesting. Is that kind of the the purpose is to get them talking about what they care about, to reveal some of the things that you're almost getting their internal methodology or thinking around it to, you know, throughout the sales call. It's kind of interesting. Actually, Jason, I just want to get them to think is the truth. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not necessarily looking for them to say something specific, but there are maybe three or four similar phrases that I use to help reps finish their questions that they're not closed-ended. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need closed-ended questions. They are important in certain spots. But I like to teach my reps how to phrase the end of a question so that it stays open-ended. So they might say, yeah, you know, it's interesting, Jason, we're finding that a lot of I don't know if this is the case for you. A lot of our clients feel that they've spent so much time trying to find startups manually that the likelihood that they can miss out on something is a lot higher than it used to be because the market continues to become hyper-segmented in the healthcare sector, for example. Right. So let's say they say something like that. So they'll end the question with either one of three or four ways. Curious how you guys think about that. Or Curious to what extent that relates to you in any way. Or another one is curious if that surprises you at all. I like that one a lot. Curious if if that surprises you. Because if they're in the game, it shouldn't surprise them. And if they're good at their job, it shouldn't surprise them. And then their reaction usually is, 
No, that doesn't surprise me at all, aka, you know my world, Mr. Seller or Mrs. Seller. And now I'm going to say, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I'm going to continue talking about why it doesn't surprise me. And now I'm bought in to what you just told me. Right. So curious how you think about it. Curious if you can relate to that. Curious if that surprises you. Right. Those type of phrases to end the question really helps like expand the buyer to think. They're going to think now. So I just want them to think. So the more I can get some prospect to think about things, the more they're going to like me. Um, and the more they're going to want to just be honest with me about things. So that's how I think about that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So it sounds like this middle part where you're starting to ask questions and really do the actual discovery is how much of the question is demonstrating business acumen or that you know the prospect's world, I think was was how you said it. Right. How intentional is that in the question uh, that you're asking and how you ask the questions, what questions you ask, that sort of stuff? It's pretty intentional. So, you know, part of the question, you know, I coach my reps on, and this is, you know, you see this all over. A lot of people who maybe share sales content will talk about this, right? I teach my reps to raise as many issues as possible that it has to do usually with what the buyer's world would be like. So it is intentional to speak about the buyer's world as if you're in the buyer's world. I also, from a mindset point of view, and I know that this is something you you talk a lot about, I try to teach my reps also when you're on the phone, pretend as if you're on their team, like you actually work with them and you're you're having a Zoom call with your coworker. And say, like, I spoke with this other guy last week, and they told me that they're pretty frustrated with not being able to find certain emerging technologies that could be helpful to their business. Is that something you guys ever thought about? Like, I'm the associate, you're my boss. Have you thought about that? To get in that mindset allows you to be more comfortable also. So yeah, acting as if you're literally their coworker or like being in their world, not like, I know your world, but I'm in a different world. Like, no, I'm like your coworker. Like, we're just talking. And that's personally what makes me feel a lot more comfortable also. No, I love that, man. Yeah. What that made me think of is I had a really awesome meeting today with the two of the VPs at a company that I'm working with. And it was a very much, a, felt like a very peer-to-peer based conversation, you know? And I've never been a VP at a company their size, you know? What you made me think of just now was when I'm doing discovery during a sales context is I need to channel the person that I was being in those calls. Like that's just who I need to be when I'm doing a sales call too. I need to speak to this person as if I'm already working with them because I actually do know what it feels like to work with the client. Unlike a lot of salespeople don't really know the delivery part of it, you know? Right. That's a really interesting place to put yourself Okay, I want to get to a couple other things because we got about 10 minutes here. <laughs> I know yeah, there's some yeah, no problem. No I problem. want to really dig in with you. So what's next? Yeah, so step four, step four is basically what do you do? The what? Prospect tells you, okay, this is what I do. You'll have a couple of clarifying questions. That's step five, clarifying questions. What does that mean? Does that mean it? Is that cool? Step number six, right? That's what I'm on right now. Step number seven, I lost it. <laughs> Let's assume. Okay, yeah. So step number six right now, after I ask a couple of clarifying questions. Now I want to know how, right? First is the what, second is the how. Can you walk me through how you going, how you guys actually go about finding companies today or monitoring disruption today? That's the how. 
Okay, so number seven is clarifying questions. Does that mean that? Does that mean that? Cool. Number eight, this is number eight. This is like, the, this is where the magic happens. And this is where the raising issues, insights happens, right? Number eight is, what are you teaching your prospect now that has nothing to do with your product? I used to think when people say you have to teach your prospects something, I used to think that meant like, well, yeah, I'm teaching them about my platform. Isn't that teaching them something? They're like, no. What are you teaching them about their world that either they don't know or they know a little bit, but didn't realize the problem was so big, right? So number eight is a problem question or raising issues question. And which sounds like, cool. So Jason, appreciate you sharing that. I'm not sure if this is going to resonate with you or not. I speak with, and I mentioned this earlier at the beginning of the call, right? I speak with like two or three chief innovation officers here daily. They're concerned about A, they're worried about B, they have a goal of C, whatever the, the problems are. And I was just curious to what extent you know, that resonates with you. And if not, and if not, what would you say you're most concerned about when it comes to X, what would you say you're most concerned about when it comes to, you know, tracking startups and innovation? So it's kind of like, I'm giving you insight, but the end of the question is like, maybe none of those resonate with you and that's cool. And then the end of the question is like, what does? So it gets you to think. Now it's like, now we're having conversation time, right? Now we're talking. Now I'm going to use like maybe some humbling disclaimers if they give me a problem, right? And now we're having conversation. So that's number eight, Right. Number nine, clarifying questions and what they tell me, fine. Number 10 is cool. So appreciate you sharing all that with me. Permission, number 10 is permission-based ask. Would it be okay if I give you some context about how we might be able to help you? Yeah. Number 11 is, I gave a positioning statement in the beginning of the call. Number 11 is, okay, so remember when I mentioned at the beginning of the call that we do X, Y, and Z? Based on what you shared with me, this is where how we might be able to help, right? So I'm at step number 10 now, I believe. And then... After that, I say, cool. So I'll pause there and see what questions you might have for me because I'm sure naturally you're going to have some questions. Number 11, they're going to ask some questions, blah, blah, blah. And then number 12 is the transition. Great. So I'm sure you'll have a lot more questions for me. You know, the, the challenge here is, Jason, that, you know, I'm sure you're going to want to actually probably see how we can help you instead of me just telling you on the phone. So pretending that we can help you, do you think it would make sense to see how that works? On another call with maybe you and some other folks on the team, do you think that would make sense? Right now we're getting to the end. That's like the structure overall of the call, skipping specifics. I love it. Yeah. Is it humbling disclaimers or humble disclaimers? I don't even know what the... Humbling disclaimers. uh, I wish I created it. Yeah, they they come from this book, Question-Based Selling. Yes. Can you give some examples of humbling disclaimers and and where you use those? I've heard you talk about... They're my favorite. What humbling disclaimers are is if I, Jason, am afraid to ask you, the prospect, a question, I want to tell you that I'm afraid to ask it. Mm-hmm. This way, one, I become more comfortable. Yeah. Two, you see my insecurities. And because you see my insecurities, you, as a human being, typically want to save me and help me. And therefore, three, you'll become more open on and honest with me and you'll start trusting me. Okay. So that's the purpose of a humbling disclaimer. So a humbling disclaimer might sound like, Jason, I'm really afraid to ask you this question, but, right? Jason, I don't really know how to ask this question exactly. However, Jason, you know, I was brought up as a child not to assume things. So when you say this, 
right? Or a fourth one, a humbling disclaimer, you can make up your own. Fourth one is, you know, I recognize that this question might be a little bit too direct. So I apologize if it is. I tend to be direct sometimes. When we talk about why, right? Those are all, all humbling disclaimers. It's kind of like, if you think about like Chris Voss and stuff, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the opposite coin. Like Chris Voss, like, created like the accusation audit term. Yeah. But that's like on the prospect. It's like, you're going to hate me for this. You might, not like, you might not like me if I ask this. So it's on the prospect. This is on me. Like I'm insecure about asking this. So I'm just going to say I'm really insecure. I might just say, by the way, I'm re- I feel really insecure about ask- asking you about budget. But can I ask you about budget? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's so hard to be like, no, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're great. I love them. I love humbling disclaimers all around. They're the best. The big thing that stands out to me about them is that really these qu- asking questions in that way is an exercise in vulnerability. Yeah, It's let your guard down with the prospect and let them know if asking a question makes you feel really nervous, like just let them know that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so simple, but it's so awesome. Oh, man. Somebody asked me the other day, he's like, I'm afraid to ask prospects this question. So how do I ask him? Like, just tell them that you're afraid to ask it. Yeah. And then ask it. The rep was like, Oh my God, I had the best time. <laughs> when I say get away with, I don't mean this in a bad way where you're trying to want, get one up on someone or manip- be manipulative, but it allows you to ask these really hard questions in a way that is so disarming. The other thing too, and I'm curious for you, smiling, I do a lot. And I, it's like, I feel like I can get away with murder, like smiling. Wow. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, Charles, you know, <laughs> this question feels really invasive of me to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Like doing that kind of thing. I think people sometimes are so serious during sales calls. And I don't know, smiling, is that something you give advice on? Am I totally out of the... You know what? You know what? I don't. I don't give advice on it. Uh, one of my managers, uh, one of the SDR managers, Dan Dennison, does yeah. give advice. And he actually just gave advice on that today. And I was like, you know what? I don't ever give it that advice. It's great advice. It's great advice. The humbling disclaimer stuff makes the job a lot of fun. Yeah. It really, really does. Yeah, it just makes makes the job really, really so much fun. It's almost a personal challenge that you could take on as a sales rep too. Yeah. I'm going to challenge myself to ask the toughest questions that I can possibly ask the prospect, but in a way where they actually want to answer the question. That's a humbling disclaimer also to even say that. I find, you know what's interesting, Jason? quick story. When I was selling a product, I was selling at Axial, one of the prospects saw on my screen share, my Salesforce pipeline. Oh, shit. Okay. And he goes, Charles, looks like you got a big pipeline this month. And you know what I said? I said, Bob, you caught me. I'm in sales. You caught me red-handed. That's it. You got me. And we were laughing about it. And I find that the more you can explain how you even sell things, like we're taught in sales, hey, understand how the prospect buys. Mm-hmm. Fine. But you can also tell the prospect how you sell. That's totally normal. There's no reason to hide. That's actually one of the upfront contracts that some buy reps use. And it sounds like, hey, Jason, you know, by the way, at the risk of stating the obvious, we typically end up working with people who either one, actually have specific goals or challenges with regard to monitoring disruption and innovation. That's ingredient number one. 
And then ingredient number two, they actually believe that our offering can help them. Those are the only two ways that we end up working with folks. If either one of those two things are not in existence, I'm sure you'll let me know and I'll let you know. Um, But that's, of course, the only way we can end up working with somebody. So I just explained to you how I sell because that's how people sell. And that's why people, part of why people buy. So just like it's cool to try to get the buyer to be transparent about how they buy, it is just as cool to teach the buyer how you sell. Totally normal. Dude, I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Charles, I could talk to you for another hour, dude. We're out of time. (laughs) Where can people go? You've been on a lot of other podcasts, which is how I heard about you. But where can people go to learn more about you, learn more about all the stuff that you're doing, all the content you're sharing, all that good stuff? Where's the best place to go to connect with you? Sure. Anybody is welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I post once a day. And if you need any help, uh, I have some AEs that recently reached out to me for some one-on-ones just on Discovery. So if it's about prospecting, I am not your man. But if it's about discovery, definitely feel free to reach out. I love this interview. One of the big things that I learned from Charles is, one, I love the positioning statement that, hey, what we do is really simple. And then you insert how it addresses concerns or frustrations. Uh, The other thing, too, is these questions around how do you think about your thing, right? How do you think about that thing? I love those two things. As you can imagine, I talk to a bunch of people and they typically think about stuff like this. How do you think about X, Y, Z? And it really gets them to stop and think, which is exactly what you want people to do throughout the sales process, actually. If I, if I was thinking of a core theme and I was writing a sales book, which I plan on doing here uh, and getting out by the end of next year, hopefully, because I guess it takes a long time to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> to go through a publisher and all those things. Um, If I had to pick a theme to focus on, it would be think. How do you get your prospects to stop and think? Whether that be your cold email, your cold call, your voicemail, discovery, like we talked about today, whatever it would be, how can you get your prospects to stop and think? Think about how they do things. That was a really big takeaway from Charles. So I appreciate you tuning in today. I have a quick favor to ask. I'd love for you to subscribe, like, leave an honest review that really helps to make sure that we can continue getting on quality guests, keep this content free, and also get in front of more people exactly like you. So wherever you listen to the podcast, I'd love if you subscribe and leave a short, honest review. It would mean a lot to me. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.